0: be here with you, and uh, glad you're here, glad you're here online, and everybody, we're just all together as a family. This week, Heather and I got to go visit our kids in Canada and our grandkids, so it's the first time I got to see my newest grandson. He's four months old, and, and uh, he is just amazing. I played all week with the grandkids and trucks, tractors, Barbie dolls, coloring, and all kinds of fun stuff, and every time I left the house and came back, the, the two oldest grandkids asked me, Poppy, did you bring us a surprise? Um, so, Poppy did not disappoint in that department. Um, as much money as I spent this week, um, lots of surprises. And then uh, <laughs> the bank will be surprised tomorrow. Um, but I'm just glad you're here. We're in a series called More Than Stories. And, and I, don't, this, this, I just feel like this is a season where God is just, I think he's loving this. I think he is loving pouring out revelation and i don 't know if you 're experiencing that the way I am, but as we 've moved through this series and this I feel like I feel like there's a season and i know I know life ebbs and flows right, but I just feel like i 'm in a season where uh, my time with the Lord is so sweet right now, and uh, I, I don't I hope he 's not preparing me for suffering coming up soon, but it's just it 's been amazing just what he 's been showing me and and, uh, and, and what he 's been showing me through this through, through the book of John, and it's amazing, and uh, uh, I love how God loves to give us revelation. I mean, we can approach the Bible as stories and, and just, okay, here's a story about Jesus, and you know, if you're like me, you can go, I've read this, so you kind of start skimming it a little bit. But there's so much revelation that we can experience because that's, that's how God wants to speak to us. God doesn't play hide and seek. Uh, God loves to reveal himself. Matter of fact, uh, this week we were playing hide and seek in our, in our uh, rental, um, and uh, my grandson, uh, he's not real good at it. Um, because he's hiding and he gets behind a a coat rack. Yes, we were in a place where we needed a coat rack. Um, And uh, so the coat is, they're hanging it like this much of his legs are showing. And so I just, you know, just to keep the game and have fun with it, you know, because, you know, we were having a few moments of quiet in the house. So, you know, I remember the game now, hide and seek is more for the parents and the kids because like just let them hide for about 30 minutes and then we'll go get them. (laughs) But he was just like there in plain sight. And I believe that's how God deals with us. We're like, he says, you don't have to, to go in this deep quest to find me. He loves to hide in plain sight, if that makes sense. And uh, uh, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be this weekend. So if you got your Bible, go to John 6. Um, this is probably going to want, we're in a section where you probably want to make some notes and highlights. Because this is a, this is a portion of scripture that, is, that has caused many people to walk away uh, from from Jesus and from submitting their life to Jesus, and it's it's a tough teaching, and the Bible is is going to be tough sometimes. I mean, when we want to we, we want to we want to we want to be guided by truth, but a lot of times that truth kind of rubs up against us, and it gets a little tough. And so this is a tough one that Jesus is in. Alec did a great job unpacking. Uh, last week, and, and uh, so we start in, and, and verse 60 says that when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? So what is this we're talking about? It's the teaching. It's a, it's a, this is an extension of the conversation. I mean, we've been in this conversation in John 5 and 6 for several weeks but it's one conversation that Jesus is having, and, and to take you back to to where Alec was last week, the conversation and, and what the people are having a tough time is in is in verse fifty three says so Jesus said to them truly, truly." I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That's, that, that, <laughs> that can make you look at that scripture and go, what? Matter of fact, this, this Easter... Uh, when we get close to easter services we, we we do ads on our on social media and we boost those posts and everything and, and we get so many so many great um, messages coming back of you know support and encouragement for the advancement of the gospel and and um uh, we had one message come in uh, that that asked the question that says if i <laughs> And I, listen, I can kind of, I gotta put myself in his shoes for a minute. So, because uh, here's what you gotta realize lost people are gonna act like lost people. But he, he says in the message if I come to your cult, do I have to engage in the practice of cannibalism, of eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood? And the team would not let me respond to that because, you know, I can be sarcastic and I love to have fun. And, and I could tell it was, it, was, it was kind of fishing, you know, was, he was trolling a little bit. And I wanted to engage, but, but the team just, they, they, they're watching my back, you know, and, and so they would not let me engage. But, but here's the thing, if you're outside of a relationship with Jesus and you hear a statement like that, it's going to make you stop, right? It's going to make you think, what, it did, what did, did I hear that? Did I hear that right? I mean, you ever, you ever walked away from a conversation going, is that what I think? I, did I hear what I think I heard? The problem is they were, they were, they were taking it literally. What, and Jesus is in this conversation trying to teach them something. And he's speaking to the disciples. And he's challenging the disciples. Because what Jesus has at this point in his ministry is a lot of people following him, but people who are not fully committed. Because remember, coming in this conversation is the day after Jesus fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. And people asked him, what sign are you going to do to show us you, you're the Messiah? And Jesus is like, I just, I just fed you. So remember, the conversation is about food at this point. And so Jesus is saying, look, look you, have to, you have to engage fully in, in what I'm giving you. And then Jesus would go on to say in verse 62, he says, says that, that what, what if you were to see... The son of man ascending to where he was before. This is just over a year before he actually did that in Acts 1. that in Acts 1, after the crucifixion and the third day, he was resurrected. And then 40 days, he was with his disciples. And then he was on the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples are watching him. And an angel shows up and says, why, what are you staring at? Like, we're looking for Jesus. He goes, well, he's gone up, man. He is seated at the right hand of the father. And he will come back in the same way you just saw him. And Jesus is like, so, so if it, you ask for a sign because I said, what sign are you going to show you? So I, I, I told you that you have to partake of me, my life, but yet if you saw me ascend, would that change your mind? It's kind of like Jesus is like, what kind of miracle are you expecting to see so that you will finally believe? When we have to understand that, 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 that it's not the miracles that, that create salvation. It's not the miracles that create belief. It is when we submit our life into Christ. Because he goes on, because I'm going to explain this. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. And then we'll see in parentheses, it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He's going to speak of Judas and we'll kind of be back at that point. We're going to circle back around there in a second. But Jesus says, he says, the words I give you are spirit and life. So so what he's saying to us is is that that in order for us to find life in him, it has to happen through the spirit, that the spiritual things have to have a foundation in his words. What, What he's really saying is just as you eat food and drink physically, and that comes in, it becomes part of you. I mean, this week I had a lot of junk food, and that's going to be part of me for a long time, I think. (laughs) But just as that becomes part of you, he says, so you must allow me into the depth of your innermost being. So he's saying, not saying like physically, you know, take a piece of his flesh and physically drink his blood. I know there's there's some thoughts out there that when we take communion, for example, that it it turns into the body and turns into the blood. It doesn't. When Jesus did communion, he he didn't take his body. He said, "This is bread. It represents my body, which is broken for you." This cup of covenant wine that he offered his disciples that we we take and we remember it with is is a symbol of the blood that he shed on the cross. So how do we how do we how do we Take in Jesus, how do we take in his flesh, take in his blood? It's it's through the word. I mean in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That Jesus is the word, he's the pre-incarnate word, the pre-existing word of God. And in order for us to really take him into the depths of who we are, it is by belief in his word. In John 5, verse 24, I want to I want to just want to take us back to this for a second. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So the way that we take on Jesus, we, we ingest is through his word by belief. And what belief does is it eternalizes it. The belief, the faith helps us digest the word of God. And remember, he's speaking to an audience that is Jewish who would have known the old testament and they would have had to been thinking about this covenant that god said he's going to make through the prophet of jeremiah in in jeremiah chapter 31 Verse 33, there is a, there's a prophecy that is spoken that God is speaking through Jeremiah about this covenant. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So God's saying, I'm going to internalize everything that I'm doing. And that's, that's what Jesus is trying to get his, his, these, these, this crowd and then some who called themselves disciples to do. I need you to internalize this word. I mean, if you really think about internalizing the word, it means wrestling with the word of God. That we, we chew on it, we digest it, we let it work a process in us. And then that creates nourishment and, and creates health and life for us. We take the food and drink in for sustenance, but we've got to receive the word of God into our innermost being in the depth of our soul so that it can give us life. And when we do that, what happens is then God opens up revelation because verse 65 says, uh, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It is that revelation. The Father opens our eyes to revelation of who Jesus is. See, we don't, we don't find Jesus. You know, we don't find salvation. God opens our eyes to the reality of who Christ is and what he did on the cross for us. And in that reality, we ingest that. We let that take root in the depth of our soul, and by faith, we are saved. It's a gift, this grace that he gives us. And it is God who opens that up for us. Even, even, in, um, uh, even just in the previous uh, section, what we see is that, that in verse 44, Jesus is he's coming back to this. In verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That, that word draw, think of like a magnet, Right? a very powerful magnet, it's, it's got a force to it. Or think, actually, probably the best way to think of it is, is, it a, is a strong gravitational force. You know, uh, physicists call it, um, what do they call it? Event horizon. And they, they, they define this area outside of a black hole where the gravitational force is so strong that you cannot turn back from it. And then once you're in, you can't get out. That to me sounds like the heart of God for us, that he draws us in, that his grace is so powerful, that his his love for us is so transformational that when we experience that, as we get close to that grace and we experience Jesus for who he really is, not, not the societal Jesus that everybody likes to follow so they get the good parking spaces and so they can get their way, but the true Jesus of scripture, the word of God who took on flesh and gave his life for us, who suffered and bled and died for our sins and was resurrected on the third day, when we experience that grace and the pull of that grace, it becomes so strong on us that we cannot help that, and then once we're in that grace, he says, there's nothing that can separate you from my love, no height, no depth, no angel, no demon, no force above the earth, no force under the earth, no force in nature, nothing, nothing you create, and nothing that is thrown at you can separate you from my love, because he draws us in, and he will not let us go, and Jesus is trying to help them understand this, that this has to have a root in the depth of your soul. It's not an intellectual Jesus. It's not a mental ascent to salvation. It's revelation. And some people think, well, if it's not an intellectual sense, so am I supposed to check my brain at the door when I get saved? Absolutely not. God created you with the brain. He created you with an intellect. Use it. And what happens is when we begin to use it for the glory of God, what we experience is a deeper revelation of God because he doesn't play hide and seek unless he's hiding in plain sight. He goes, I long to show you more. As you take this word in and it gets into the depth of who you are, it brings life and more life and more life and more life and help and health and everything that comes to it. And that's, Jesus is, is giving this explanation to people who say, We're disciples because it starts out in verse 60 when many of his disciples heard this. They heard this teaching that that Jesus has to be internalized, that there has to be a transformation from the inside out. See, faith and salvation isn't something you can fake it until you make it. It takes root within and works outward from there. And Jesus is really trying to open this up for us. And so we're going to see two responses in this. The first response is in verse 69. It says, After this, many, look at this, many of his disciples, his disciples. What is a disciple? It's an apprentice, it's people following Jesus. See, you and I. As when we submit our life to Christ and we receive salvation, that gift of God that transforms our life, we become a disciple of Jesus. And we really need to speak it this way. We become an apprentice of him. An apprentice of him means we watch him. We learn from him. And we want to emulate him. And so these are people not just on the, on the fringe saying, I think maybe if Jesus, if Jesus shows up, you know, if he'll work all things together for my good, then I'm in. You know, see, Jesus has a lot of fans, and fans hang around as long as they get what they want. As long as as you're creating wins for me, Jesus, I'm a fan, and Jesus isn't speaking to his fans. He's speaking to disciples and what he's trying to do is to create a filter. How how strong of a disciple, how strong of an apprentice are you? Are you you kind of a fair weather apprentice? So you're going to tag along with me until it gets difficult and then you're going to pull away? Because it says, and many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And I I just got to tell you, as a pastor, I see this constantly and it breaks my heart. Because nowhere do we have this promise that that Jesus fixes everything we want him to fix in our life and that he gives us everything we want in in our life. And when it gets tough, people just go, no, I'm not dealing with that. I thought, I thought Jesus was real. I thought he was good. I mean, how can a good God let me go through this suffering? How can a good God let, let this happen in my life for so long? How can a good God? And so what we do is we start to shrink back into our will, and then we're no longer disciples of Jesus. We're disciples, listen to this, of ourselves. And we've elevated ourselves to God's status and think that God should serve us to give us what we want. That is not how this works. And then Jesus turns to the other ones. He said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? I think it's interesting because when you see Jesus in Scripture, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is willing to engage in conversation as long as people are willing to ask and question. These these disciples didn't ask Jesus anymore about it. They just turned and walked away. And Jesus is not going to speak to their silence So if you've got a questioning heart and you're you're wanting revelation, I would just encourage you to continue speaking to Jesus. Continue the conversation because he will not cut you off. But once we become silent and no longer let him speak into our life, he says, I'm not going to force myself on you. So he turns to the 12. He says, do you guys want to go away too? He knows this is a tough teaching. Jesus doesn't call us to easy. And the disciples look at him. And then Peter, Simon Peter, kind of becomes the spokesperson for the group. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. And Jesus answered, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he knew one of the 12 was going to betray him. So Jesus even drew in those he knew would betray him because he foreknew, that's verse 64. He foreknew from the beginning who was gonna do this. But I I find it interesting because Simon, he he responds to Jesus. Is Jesus like, you guys gonna go away too? It's like, where are we gonna go, Jesus? Where else are we gonna go? You have the words to eternal life. You have the, what we're looking for and you're the only one who has what we're looking for. You're the only one who can satisfy this, this, this incredible hunger in our soul. You're the only one. And we, see, when he says we have believed, when you read that in the Greek, it's in what's called present tense, which means it's a decision that has already been made and it is unalterable. So what Peter is saying is, is there's no decision to make here, Jesus. We've already believed, and that won't change our decision now. We have, what he's saying is we've put the stake in the ground and said, we believe you are who you say you are. We believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're the Holy One, the Anointed of God, and we are not going anywhere. No matter how hard this gets, I won't go. That's the filter. That's being fully committed, knowing who Jesus is and knowing I have already staked my life on this. So he's no longer, Peter's saying, we're not fans and we're not gonna be here only when it's good. We're fully committed. We are locked in and we're ready to go. And, and listen, that's, that's the filter that I believe Jesus calls us to constantly, and how does he get us there? Through his word. We should be wrestling with the word of God. You know, I, I hear people gasp sometimes when I say, you know, I wrestle with doubt sometimes. It's okay to wrestle with doubt because I'm wrestling with the word of God. I'm trying to internalize it to let it transform my life. And, and there's a there is a difference between doubt and disbelief, Right? See, doubt is an issue of the head. I'm trying to get my mind around this, Jesus, but I'm locking in and I'm not giving up on it. Disbelief is, I ain't hearing that. So if doubt's an issue of the head, then disbelief's an issue of the heart. And my heart is fully submitted and fully surrendered to Jesus as my Savior to say, I don't, there's nowhere else I can go in all of creation to find what only you have. I'm not leaving, but I'm struggling with it a little bit. And we continue the conversation. And Jesus is is gonna, he brings us to these filtering questions constantly in our faith because this is what leads us to revelation. Revelation leads to growth. Revelation, listen, leads to more questions. And those questions lead to more revelation, more about who God is, his heart for us, his love for us, his grace, and how big and how great and how awesome. And what Jesus, the, the, the questions that I think Come up in my mind through a passage like this that's difficult is the first one is am I willing to accept his word? This is what Jesus spoke. He is the incarnate word, and his word can be hard to accept, even be offensive to my flesh. And Jesus said, the flesh is of no help at all. His word is gonna his word is gonna rub me wrong sometimes. And in order for me to accept Jesus and his salvation, I have to accept his word. And be fully committed to it. And it's got to take a root. I mean, just look at some examples of, of what is spoken about his word in his word. I mean, Psalm 119 is beautiful, right? It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That this word guides me. It guides me in the way everlasting. It keeps me from stepping off into sin and stepping off into the darkness. In Psalm 119, 160, he says, your word is Truth. It it is a permanent, everlasting, eternal truth. It's not just, hey, I think I'm gonna follow this truth today and this truth today and this truth today. It is the truth. It's living, Hebrew says. It's active and breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword that would cut right through our, our joints and marrow, right down to our soul. Even in verse 63, he said, my words are spirit and life. And what that means is I have to, crucify my flesh since the flesh is of no help at all. I've found that when I'm wrestling with the word of God that, that I'm really wrestling against my flesh, my own desires. Paul would write about that in Romans chapter five. You know, he would say that, that we can't please, we can't please both natures here. So Romans, Romans chapter five, I just wanna, just wanna throw this out real quick. Um, says this, Let me go to Romans chapter 5. Sorry, Romans chapter 8. I'm getting a little bit crazy. Romans 8, eight five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, So I have to come to a point that when God's word comes up in my space, and and he's he's being challenged with it, and he's he's wrestling with me, and we're in this conversation, I've got to kind of step back and go, okay, which nature am I approaching this from, and which nature am I trying to feed? Which one am I trying to follow? Because I can't be fully committed to both. James calls that a double-minded man. It's kind of like living with one foot in both worlds, and you you just can't do that. He says you're unstable in all your ways. It creates instability everywhere in my life when I try to do that, and I've tried to do it, and I can't do it, and no one of us can because we cannot fully please one nature or the other, and people have walked away because we're trying to, to balance in both of that because I... I get to a point, I won't believe that because I don't like it. And when I struggle in that way, I'm, I, man, my flesh can get hostile to God because I, it ha, it, it's falling out of submission. And I think, I think one of the things I have to do is, is really ask myself, how am I approaching God in this moment? Am I approaching God with, with this is what I want and I want you to give it to me? Am I approaching God with, with a mentality of really believing God is for me? I mean, later in Romans 8, would say that God is God is for us. He's not for our flesh and he's not for our sin. He's not for our, our selfish, but he's for us, meaning his righteousness. He wants that for us. And do I really believe that he's for me? Do I really believe he'll work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Do I really believe that his word reflects that. If I really believe that, then my heart needs to fall into submission to that and accept his word. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't mean I like all of his word. I will wrestle with it sometimes, but I will continue wrestling with it because I want him more than I want me. To accept his word and accept salvation means am I willing to accept his life? I mean, if I'm going to accept his life, I've got to accept his death, right? If I'm going to accept his death, I've got to accept his crucifixion because you don't have death without life. You don't have resurrection without death. And so I have to accept the totality of what Jesus did for me on the cross. That Jesus wrapped himself in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He wrapped himself in flesh. He became uh, humble, even uh, just like we are. He didn't come to the world to be served. He didn't come in a kingly fashion. He came in the most humble means. And he came to serve. He says it in his own words. I came to serve and not be served. And he came and set an example for us. So when I, when I say I'm an apprentice of Jesus, how do I grow as an apprentice of Jesus? I want to study these four books, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How did Jesus do life? I want to accept his life. I want to accept how he did life. And that means I've got to emulate him. I'm called to crucifixion. To accept his life means I also have to accept my death. I love love how Paul writes about this in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, 24, he says, uh, uh, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So those who belong, so we have crucified. And then then in chapter 4, he says, I have been crucified crucified, I'm sorry, chapter two. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I, I share in his life, I share in his death. That I have been crucified. If I'm willing to accept his life, I have to be willing to accept that it's no longer the life that I live. It's his life. I've given it completely to him. Therefore, the communion symbols take on an even greater meaning because he says as often as you eat and drink do this in remembrance of me so that means when I take that bread I remember his death but also remember that I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me when I take that little cup of juice, and side note, people have asked me several times recently, why do we do juice? Because it was wine in the Bible. And, and we'll always have somebody go, well, it wasn't real wine. It was Jesus' wine. No, it was real wine. I mean, there's only one way to make wine. You take grapes, you ferment them, and that's the process. Jesus had wine. Yes. Um, but why don't we use wine? Because we have people who are recovering. And I don't want to take something that is a holy moment and create a stumbling block for someone who's recovering. And we're not going to get legalistic about it. Well, it has to be this and it has to be this. Jesus said, as often as you eat and drink. That's the beauty about the body of Christ. That every meal that I sit down, I mean, I'm I'm angling tonight for, for my favorite pizza. And I will sit down with that pizza and I will celebrate the goodness of God with my pizza. Because he says, as often as you eat and drink. So what does it remember? What do I remember? It reminds me that I have a Savior who gave his life. who laid his body down willingly on a cross for me. And that because I now have my faith in him, that I have been crucified with him. It's no longer I who live. I remember that he gave his blood. And it's only his blood that can free me from my bondage of sin and shame. And death and hell. And I remember that because of what his blood did, that his blood is now my blood and has covered me, that I now belong to him. And I've been pulled into that gravitational force, that that event horizon that he says, I'll never let you go. So it takes on an incredibly new meaning. Because when I accept his life, and they really means he's growing me. See, see, salvation leads to, well, go this way. So revelation of who Jesus is leads to salvation. Salvation leads to a revelation that it's not my life that leads to transla- uh, transformation. That transformation leads to us growing up. We need food. We have to give our children food to nurture them, to grow them. It's the same thing with our spirit. We continue to feed on the word of God. He grows us up. It's called sanctification. It's a big word meaning just maturity. That he's constantly—if I'm willing to accept his life—he's constantly calling me to change, and then I grow. And when it gets hard, I have to stay fully committed. So, so people go, "Yeah, I'm willing to accept his word. I'm willing to accept his life." But listen, here's where here's where it really gets challenging. Am I willing to accept his will, his calling? A calling is will. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, you know, what is God calling me to do? What is God's will for my life? We hear this a lot. And, and we reduce that down into our terms, right? Like, what is God's will? Is it God's will that I take this job? Is it God's will that I leave this job to go find another job? Is it God's will that I go to this school? Is it God's will that I marry this person? Is it God's will? And so we start reducing all these things down to God's will. What, God, what are you calling me to do? I wrestled with this a lot when I felt God calling me to plant the church. I mean, he laid that on Heather and I's heart and it was like, God, are you calling me to do this? Are you calling me to do this? And, and, and sometimes I just felt like God was saying, it doesn't matter what you do, just follow me. Just, just lock in with me. You get so worried about where we're going that why don't, you just, why don't you just follow me? I'll lead us where I want you to go. But God just opened up some incredibly beautiful revelation about the will of God. I mean, let's let's look at the will of God for just a second, okay? Some some high level will of God. Go back to John chapter six. Um, in John chapter six, verse forty, says, "For this is the will of my Father." Okay, so let's ping our radars here a little bit, because Jesus said, "My Father has a will." What is the will of my Father? That everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the will of the Father, the will of God, is for our salvation. God desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. So God's will for my life is to be saved through Jesus. Romans chapter 12. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We, we like this verse a lot and we like to quote it, you know, but, but let's get down to it. What is, the, what is the will of God? It says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's part of the will. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. It's a good Pleasing, acceptable, perfect will. So the will of God, salvation in Christ. Transformation, how? By renewal of our mind, by not thinking the way the world thinks, that we we have been crucified to the way of the world and we now are raised in his resurrection. We have his resurrection life to be renewed in our mind to think a different way. So that's the will of God. Let's go on. Let's get a bit more tough. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your maturity. The will of God is for us to grow up. We don't have children for them to stay infants because they're, they're cute. Actually, I like infants when they're in the carrier. But then once they get mobile, it gets crazy. And you know how you go through seasons with kids? You're like, I, I'm enjoying our children right now. I'm in a season where I am and absolutely enjoying my children because I don't do diapers, I don't have to do tantrums i don't ha- they're off my payroll it's a great season, but the will of God is maturity. He says that you also that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not the passion like the gentiles do so what he's saying is is His will for our life is holiness, honor. What does that mean? Being consecrated to God, being set aside for God. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. I am set aside. It's not me, God, it's you. Go over just one chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. It says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, listen to this, underline this. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Be kind to your pastors. And esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, look at this. It says, be at peace among yourselves. So the will of God is for us to be at peace with people. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idol. So when we see somebody that's like, they're not maturing, they're not growing, they're not feeding on the word of God, we've got to, we've got to bring them in. It's a rebuke. Encourage the faint-hearted. It's not something we walk into church and go, ah, oh, it's been a hard week. Man, I'm sorry. You know, I'll pray for you. God bless you. No we're to encourage the faint hearted that when they get weak when they're facing those challenges they know they got somebody standing with them. It's the will of God for us to do this together. Be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. It's the will of God for us to do good in this world. It's the will of God for us to rejoice always even in trials. It's the will of God for us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we sit in a corner in a closet and when 24 hours a day we we take on a monk lifestyle. To pray without ceasing is constant conversation. I can go through through the day and really just stay locked in with Heather in conversation. So pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. The Greek word for all is all. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here's the key. Verse 19, how do we do this? Don't quench the spirit. How do I live at peace? How do I set myself apart for God? How do I constantly live as crucified in myself and resurrected to him? It's by the spirit of God at work within me. So when you look at the will of God, you know what it's not? It's not about vocation. It's not about relationships. It's about character. Character. God, what's your will for my life? To shape you into my character. To make you look like me. So when you go to your job, you look like me. So in all of your relationships with the people you do life, you look like me. So that it's my life working in you to work through you. That's the will of God. So next time you ask God, what are you calling me to do? What's your will for my life? Look in the mirror and let him say, "I want you to look exactly like me. That's my will. That's what I'm calling you. That's the calling to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is laying down with this gauntlet. Do you want to walk away too? Yeah, this word gets hard. Yes, it challenges. Are you going to walk away? Are you going to stand fully committed? Because those disciples, for Peter to say, "Where else are we going to go? it's fully committed. Especially when Jesus says, you got a fate that's going to be pretty rough, Peter, after his resurrection. He's worried about what's John, what's going to happen with John. Don't worry about John, but you got something coming. You're going to be led where you don't want to go. You're going to experience things you don't want to experience. In order for the disciples to give their lives the way they gave them, they were fully committed. When they were put on a cross upside down to renounce their faith, they were fully committed. When they were boiled in oil, fully committed. Sawn in two, fully committed thrown off the temple, fully committed. That's the type of follower that Jesus is asking us to be, a fully committed follower of Jesus that we're fully accepting of his word, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his calling on our life to look like him to go into this world. He's calling us to be changed so that we can lead others to change. And my choice my response is not silence, but surrender. I hope that's yours too. God, your word can be difficult. We, we confess that. Your word can can it, it just your word can feel so uh, so abrasive to us sometimes. And I ask you to help us with that. I pray that none of us walk away in silence but continue to surrender to you because to surrender to your word means to surrender to your life and to surrender for your call for us and it means sacrifice and your call is to holiness and we cannot do this without you we cannot create a manufactured life of salvation and transformation we need you holy spirit we need you to move in us lead us to revelation lead us to belief, lead us to salvation, lead us to surrender, lead us to that foundation of commitment that goes beyond our flesh. Lead us to your character. There's nowhere else we can go for eternal life. It's only found in you, Jesus. And I pray we will all choose you, fully committed. We love you. Amen. Love you guys.